Good morning. Good morning. My name's Tim. Um, welcome to Grace Church again. If this is your first time and you're fairly new amongst us, it's great to have you here. Um, I've been um, in this church and living in Nottingham for for nearly 10 years, I realized the other day, which is seemingly starting to get on. Um, and I can remember well my first few weeks here in Nottingham. Um, I came as a, as a student originally to, to study here. I studied history. Um, and I came, um, and I remember those first few weeks of, of spending um, all day, every day, um, late into the evening with other people, getting to know um, different people in my, in my hall that I was living in, um, and loads and loads of social time with people. Um, I remember feeling quite lonely. Like, everyone acted like they, they knew everyone else, but no one really knew anyone. Everyone was strangers. Um, no one really knew who I was, and I didn't really know anyone else. And I can remember um, about a couple of days or a week in um, to my time in Nottingham meeting a guy called Tom, who I um, went on to become good friends with, um, still am, and he um, was from a similar area in the country that I'm from. We knew some of the same places. I think we even knew some of the same people. Um, we were on the same course. We both really loved history. Um, and there was this moment of, oh, oh, this person understands me a bit, and I understand this person a bit. There was this moment of connection. You might have known some of those same moments where you just meet someone, and you have all these similarities. Being understood is the foundation to friendship. It's the foundation to friendship. Actually, C.S. Lewis writes that friendship is born at the moment when one person turns to another person and says, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. We all need to feel understood. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what um, our Bibles say about our physical selves and about our bodies. We looked at how they were uh, created by God in his image. Um, and then last week, we looked at the reality that the world is, is broken, that creation is broken, and that includes and affects our bodies. Today, we are looking at the fact that we can say of Jesus, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That God has come close to us as a man. That he knows what it's like to walk this earth. Please turn to John chapter 1 in your Bibles. We'll have it up on the screen. John writes in his gospel, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John begins his gospel by telling us of this great treasure of the Christian faith this defining truth, the incarnation, that God, the Word, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has become flesh. He has become a man. He has come close to us. John, um, the writer of this, loved this truth. We meet John in his gospel as a, as a hot-headed young man, um, and he spent um, many years walking with Jesus, knowing him, um, they would uh, go for walks, they would, they would fish together. He saw Jesus preach and, and teach and work miracles. He would get um, annoyed with Jesus at different things and then reconcile with him. One evening, he writes, they were eating together, and he, as they were eating, he lay against Jesus' side. He loved that God had come close to him and been his friend. 
And he writes many years later, towards the end of his life, he, he still loves this truth. And this is how he starts another book in our Bibles, 1 John 1. And he just loves that, that, that God has come as a man and he's met him. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. There's no other way of seeing, but he makes it clear that it's with his eyes, which we have looked upon. He can't get over this truth and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And he goes on, that life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen. Is that the fourth time? And heard, we also proclaim to you. John loves the incarnation. It is the, the truth that our faith is built upon, that Jesus, who is God, became flesh. The Son took on humanity. God, who does not have a body, took on flesh and blood. God is enthroned in the heavens, was then born as a baby and placed in a feeding trough. The eternal one, now in a time zone. The invisible God, visible for us all to see. When he, when he says the word became flesh, John is telling us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Perhaps we can think sometimes that Jesus is a slightly lesser God He's like most of God, but he's given a bit of God stuff away that he's not quite equal with the Father God. But no, he's, he's fully God, not a created being, not God junior, fully, gloriously, and eternally God who knows all things and made all things and holds all things together, God. He did not trade in his divinity to get his humanity. No, he stayed all that he always was and added humanity to himself. So while being fully God, he's also fully man. You see, God didn't commute to his humanity. He moved in. God didn't send a messenger on his behalf. He has come and dwelt with us. He took on humanity, warts and all, all that it is to be human, Jesus is. Last week, we looked at brokenness in our bodies, that they are fallen, faltering, fragile, and finite. That everyone has brokenness in their bodies, physical pain, disability, limitations enforced upon us. And our relationship with our bodies are broken. They don't feel how they should do. For some, they, they don't feel like home. There's this pervasive brokenness. And in this world of brokenness and sin and pain, God has come. He came as a full man. He knows what it feels like. In the darkness, this light is shone. A friend who knows what it's like. Jesus was a full man. And this means he had a, and has a full human body like ours, like yours. You might imagine if you were to arrive in first century Israel at the time of Jesus, that you would just easily spot which one is Jesus, like the one with a, a slight glow to him or a little halo 
or who's like doesn't have a shadow or doesn't have <laughs> footprints on the on the sand. But no, he he would look like anyone else. There was no he was not slightly translucent. He you 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 would pass him on the street and wouldn't give him a second glance. He looked average. And his body functions like other people's would do. Like he he would get hungry. But by 10:30 in the morning, if I'm in a meeting, I can hear my stomach rumbling. People sat next to me can, can hear my stomach rumbling. And it's embarrassing. But no doubt, Jesus knew the same thing. He would get hungry and long for a good meal of, of fish and bread. He would smell uh, food cooking, and he would salivate like we do. And perhaps there were foods that wouldn't sit well with him, that he would feel lethargic after eating. He would get weary and tired. His muscles would ache after long walks. He would chafe, he would get insect bites, he'd be uncomfortable. He knew what it was to get tired. God, who does not slumber nor sleep, came as a man and got tired and slept. He grew, he, he went to school, he learned how to do things. There were things he probably wasn't very good at. He wasn't perfectly talented at everything. I, I would hate to um, have been leading worship this morning. I really can't sing. I really struggle at singing. Perhaps the same was true for Jesus. I don't know. But he wouldn't have been good at everything. He wouldn't have been perfectly talented at every human skill. Perhaps he couldn't dance. I don't know. Um, he lived a human life. He, he knows what it is to go to a, a wedding. He knows what it is to go to a funeral. He knows what it's like to celebrate a birth and, and to hear a a joke and find it funny. He knows what it's like to hear a joke and find it unfunny. Um, he knows what it's like to, to walk along a beach. Children wanted to play games with him and would sit on his lap. He had friends that he cared for. He had family who were sometimes frustrated with him. He had a human body. He lived a human life. And his human body expressed normal human emotions. You know how we have butterflies in our stomach that we have a kind of anxiety in our gut. We feel um, emotions in our bodies. The same was true for Jesus. He visibly rejoiced. He, it says in one passage that he, he looked at a man and loved him. And to the person who wrote that down, to the person he looked at, that looked like something. They could see on Jesus' face his affection for that person. Jesus would, would see sin and death in the world. He would see brokenness, and it would draw great groans from out of him. He saw in the, the death of his friend Lazarus and the, the power of death and its effect on people, and it led to him being filled with an irrepressible anger. It almost doesn't come out in the, in the English passage, but he was deeply and profoundly agitated in his whole being. Do you know what that's like? He, he knew what it was like to feel almost overwhelmed by emotion, and it burst forth from him in tears as he wept. His emotion caused him to physically sweat blood in Gethsemane as he considered and prepared to go to the cross. He wasn't a robot. He didn't choose to feel emotion. He wasn't like, oh, the, the thing I should do now is feel happy, the thing I should do now is feel sad. No, his emotions weren't a show. He, and his emotions didn't stop at the point of dignity. He 
knows what it's like to feel almost consumed by emotion. And as a human of a human body and a human life and human emotions, he had a human will and knew what it was like to face temptation as we do. We read in the Gospels that he just at different times faced temptation. That at one time he was in the desert for 40 days, a terrible place to face temptation. And, and Satan tempted him there. That he was tempted by the, the offers of the world to sin. All without sinning, that doesn't lessen the severity of the temptation. If anything, it increases it. Hebrews 4 says that in Jesus we do not have one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. How wonderful is that? But who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin? He was tempted like we are, as far as that is possible, without him having a human heart, a, a sinful heart, I mean. He knows what it's like to be tempted. Jesus can say he knows what it's like to be tempted as we are. His, and his body functioned like ours do. He had good days and bad days, which means he suffered in his body. Now, there's a, a deep and, and wonderful strangeness to this, that Jesus suffered, because God can't suffer. God is the one who is the eternally blessed one, which means that he is the perpetually happy one. He is eternally happy. Suffering always involves a lack of a good thing. And in God, there is no lack. In God, there is no emptiness. He has eternally all that he needs. He is eternally joyful. There is no suffering in God. And by the way, this is a good thing. It means that God didn't create you, didn't create the world out of a insecurity or lack in him that he needed to make up for. He made you just so that he could draw you in to his ongoing and eternal joy. But in, you see, God can't suffer, and God certainly can't die. He is life itself. And so he took a human nature, a body that can suffer, a frame that can be broken, Fred Saunders writes that, that God took the only death on the market. That's human death. There's no God death. He took a human nature that he might die for you. The God who can't be lonely took a human body that he might die alone. He was struck and beaten. On the cross, he knew excruciating pain. He knew what it was to feel overwhelming, all-encompassing pain, to feel like all his strength had gone. It says in Hebrews that in the days of his flesh, he prayed with loud cries and tears. He knew what it is to pray real prayers. You know those prayers you pray on the drive home from work between sobs or on your pillow at night? He knows what it is to pray real prayers. Jesus had a body like yours, and he knew pain in it. There is no ingredient of suffering he hasn't tasted. We have one who can sympathize with us because he has been down the roads we know. He knows how you feel. 
in our sufferings, he sympathizes, not merely because he knows our thoughts, though he does, but because he's been down the road before. You can research a place before you go there. You can look on TripAdvisor and look on Google Maps, but it's different to actually walking the streets. Jesus has. He walks that dark valley of shadow. He knows its turns, that protracted descent. The one who is the Lord of all understands the depth of human experience. Do you feel frustrated with the brokenness in your body? With chronic disease, insomnia, allergies, acne, arthritis, with cancer, with life-controlling limitations? He can sympathize. Jesus knows how you feel. There can be, in, in, in our experience with friends and family, it can be hard at times to explain ourselves to other people. My, my wife Rosie knows me really well, and she's a great listener, and I can try and find the best possible words to explain how I feel, my internal thought processes to her. But there's always this, this kind of barrier. I can never fully bring her in. I can never perfectly explain myself. I can never be 100% understood by her. But you have one in Jesus who knows your every thought, who knows why you do what you do, who made you. I don't even know why I feel the way I do sometimes. I don't fully understand myself, but he understands me. He knows my thoughts, and he has been there himself. We have one who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. In the temptations you face, in that internal struggle you have between doing what you know is right and all those desires to sin, Jesus can say he knows what it's like. You do not have a God who's unable to sympathize. Jesus knows your weakness because he has carried it himself. We read in the Gospels that Jesus met people in need and he had compassion on them. He saw crowds of multitudes, he saw bereaved widows, and he had compassion. And by that word compassion, it means that he had a, a deep internal strife. There was a deep turmoil inside of him. It was not a shallow or trite feeling, no, it was visceral. This word compassion. He had compassion on earth. And it's easy for us to imagine that though Jesus is still a man, in heaven, this is all just a distant memory for him. He's got bigger fish to fry now. But just as he was a man of compassion on earth, so too he is in heaven now. His affections have not grown dim. They've not grown small. He has not shared his humanity. We can draw near to the one who still sympathizes, who cares for us. Your self-pity cannot rival his compassion for you. In, in Romans 12, Jesus tells those in the church who show mercy to other people to do it with cheerfulness. How much more can we expect, can we be confident that when he shows us mercy, he will receive us with joy, that he does it cheerfully? He does not tire in our need. The author of Hebrews encourages us, let us then draw, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So draw near, my friends, 
with boldness, with confidence, expecting to be joyfully received, with prayer, telling him how you feel. Where is he seated? He is seated, we are told, on a throne of grace. It is not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of, you, you can do this by yourself, pick yourselves up. This doesn't matter. No, it's a throne of grace. He is there to give grace to us in our need, to give us his strength in our weakness, that we would know his love, that we would know the God of all comfort in our pain. Draw near in your bodily discomfort, in your bodily dysfunction, in your weakness and suffering, in your pain or bodily dissonance, in your struggles with temptation. Draw near to the one who delights to have mercy on you. He will not turn you away. What's more, he has not come and dwelt with us simply to understand us, but also to redeem us. If you're stuck in a pit, it might be nice to have someone there with you, but how much better it is to have someone with you who knows how to get out, who can pull you out of that hole. Jesus knows what it's like to walk our earth and he can lift us out. He can redeem us. And this gives the Christian hope. He suffered that he might redeem us as a people for himself. God came as a man, suffered and died, that the decay of our bodies wouldn't be the end of the story. He came to our place of brokenness and darkness to take this darkness upon himself and give us new life. He took that death that should have been ours. And he lived that perfect human life that we could never live. He fully honored God with his body, like we don't and couldn't do. And he gives us his perfect record. Jesus became what we are as a man, that we might become somehow like him. What an exchange this is, that God has humbled himself that he has come and met us where we are, that he might redeem us. He comes and sits with us in the dust, that he might lift us up with him. Jesus was fully human, and this means that all that it is to be human is redeemed in that resurrection, including our bodies. He has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. In Jesus, we are seen, and in Jesus, we see God. As the breadth and depth of our human experience is walked by God in Christ, we see what God is like. C.S. Lewis wrote that Hamlet could look everywhere in the play and never find Shakespeare. Or to take a modern example, um, Harry Potter could look all throughout Hogwarts and never find J.K. Rowling. Just would, but for the two to meet, Shakespeare would have to write himself into the play and be a character that Hamlet could meet on Hamlet's own level. Hamlet could initiate nothing. Hamlet could never climb his way to any knowledge of Shakespeare. And in, in a similar way, in the Incarnation, God wrote himself in as a man. We could not know him apart from his revelation of himself to us, but he gracefully has. 
He came at our level. In Jesus, we see what God is like. Do you want to know what God is like? Look to him. Look to the one who took your burdens upon himself, who knows what it is to walk, to live a life like yours, who came and suffered that you may know him. This is the God that you can trust. This is a good God. Knowing God is not like us climbing up a mountain, working hard, striving to finally at the top know who God is. No, we could never do that. But he has come down the mountain that we might know him. John 1.18, John continues, he says that no one has ever seen God, but, God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, i.e. Jesus, he has made him known to us. God is invisible of himself, but he has become a man that you may see him one day, that you might know him as you know, as you know each other right now. There is a man in heaven, and you will, you will recline against him like John did. You will know him closely. Do you want to know God? See him here. He has come that you might know him. His name is Jesus. Our God is, above all things, eternal and infinite. He is a God beyond our full comprehension. But he has made himself known to us in the most unlikely of ways. Born to a small, obscure family, not a pretend man, but a real man. Living as we do, being tempted as we are, suffering like we do. In short, he's come close that he might dwell with us, that we might know him. One writer says that in Jesus, God found a way to become small enough to find us in the darkness of our hiding places and lead us out into his otherwise unapproachable light. In Jesus, we can know today that God knows what it's like to walk this earth. We can go to him with our pain and suffering, we can say to Jesus, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. Draw near to him. He knows you. He knows what it's like. And in Jesus, we know today that God has not left us as we were, that the brokenness isn't the end of the story, that he has gone to great lengths, that we might be with him forever, that our bodies might be made new. And we'll hear more about that next week.